We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's up, guys? We are at Kauffman Stadium with Jason Kander talking about his new book, Invisible Storm, and the fact that he's trying to get his batting over average over 400 for the KC Hustlers baseball team. We'll tell you what that means in a minute. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Sometimes Weekly Sports and Stuff presented by our good friends at Holiday Distillery. Make sure to check out their new Ben Holiday Bottled and Bonded Bourbon. And again, if you can't already tell, we are at the beautiful Kauffman Stadium. We appreciate the Royals for letting us out here. And we are joined by a very special guest this week. And I had to write this down, Jason, because you have a long list of things that you have done throughout your career. So former Missouri Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah, Currently check. working with the Veterans Community Project, check, which we'll check. talk a little bit about later. Mm-hmm. New York Times bestseller for the new yeah. book that we will talk about during this episode, Invisible Storm. Check, Had a check. chance to read this. Fantastic. And I believe second time New York Times bestseller. Yeah, it turns out, I mean, why write a book unless you're going to do that, I guess. You know, I'm probably jinxing myself if I ever write a book again. But you know. And most importantly, uh, you did... Kind of run for president, which we'll talk about. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But most importantly, the gritty center fielder for the Kansas City Hustlers presented also uh, that team by our good friends at Charlie Hustle, um, which is part and of the your teammate. And we're teammates. That's why we know yeah, each other a little bit. That's Get how out you there know on the I'm gritty, field. and that's the best way to describe it because you can't be like power hitting. So gritty <laughs> works. You get down the line quickly. I know there's a lot of guys keeping shape on the team, but like you, you take it seriously. You get after it a little bit. I age adjusted. I'm still pretty fast. You know, yeah. Speed don't slump. I'll say one of my favorite moments, not about this podcast, one of my favorite moments of the summer so far, you were playing first base. It was a perfect night out at Mid-America. You look over, like, how awesome is this? And I almost looked at it, it's like, is this heaven? It's like, we're in Field of Dreams. Like, there's a perfect night. The sun had just gone down over the trees. It was like, this is beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Dudes out Sometimes I'm standing out there in center field, 
and like maybe we're getting beat or whatever. And I look down and I'm like, I'm 41 years old. I'm wearing baseball pants. How did this happen? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it it's fun. It's a great group of guys out on that team. So if you're listening and you you want to watch the baseball and the, the Royals aren't in town, look us up. We'll let you know on the social media account. You can come watch some KC Hustlers baseball. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, but. Um, one of the things in talking a little bit about your book, but I want to connect it to baseball a little bit, just because it's a theme throughout. I know you've talked about on your podcast um, and the different shows that you've done promoting the book, that there's been this baseball thematic mm-hmm. um, throughout. And obviously growing up in Kansas City, yeah. Royals fan, just how has baseball been a part of your journey and through everything through Invisible Storm and just now looking forward to get out and playing baseball a couple times a week? Yeah. So in my family, we're Jewish, but baseball is like maybe our religion, you know, like we're Jewish. But we but we play baseball, you know, like my dad was my little league coach. His dad was his little league coach. I'm true's my son's little league coach, Uh, you know, so it's just like it's a theme, like you said, that has run through my life and through my family. And I can remember as a kid coming out here and, you know, my dad would point out he'd be like, watch George Brett, like on every play. And I feel like my dad taught me a lot about how he wanted me to approach life by having me watch how how George Brett approached baseball. And I think the message was, you know, the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. And and so my son understands that, like, you know, I I use baseball not to teach him about baseball, but to teach him, like, what kind of man I want him to be. So, yeah, I mean, I draw uh, a lot of comparisons to baseball throughout the book and that kind of thing. I think anybody who's played sports, you always refer everything or relate everything back to playing sports baseball is great i grew up as a pitcher it's the next pitch it's you gotta get over you can't live in the past you got to deal with failure and get over it and get back out on the mound and go throw another pitch give up a home run throw another get back in the zone all of those things exactly uh, you can relate to um favorite royals memory uh favorite royals memory is the wild card game you know i was here with my dad and my brother and we were sitting right out there and it was uh it's one of the top five days of my life you know i mean getting to getting to i mean because my dad grew up and he's old enough that it was the kansas city a's and then we finally get back royals finally get back to the playoffs and who we planned but the a's (laughs) and to vanquish them in the fashion that we did i actually funny follow-up story to that uh like a couple years later i'm in the san francisco airport I was out there for a fundraiser. I'm running for the Senate, and uh, I see Billy Bean, uh, you know, GM of the I, people who listen to this. I don't need to explain who Billy Bean is. Uh, other podcasts, I need to explain that everybody here is as fanatical as, as we are. Um, but I see Billy Bean. We're going through the TSA line, and of course, I'm the only guy who recognizes the actual Billy Bean, not not Brad Pitt. Yeah. So we strike up a conversation, and I say to him at some point in it, I say, you know, if it's any consolation to you, I was at that wild card game. And it's one of the top five days of my life. And I took my dad and he goes, I'm really glad you had a nice memory with your dad. It is no consolation to me. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, we had a good chat about that game. But. You got the opportunity to ask him about it. Yeah. Um, my, the World Series run. I remember going to the games. I was at the Chiefs and they, they were so gracious. They had opportunities for employees to get tickets to go over yeah. during that World Series run. And went with my wife. And when Lorenzo Crane went from first to home, oh. like I just remember as a baseball person, he's like, that doesn't happen. No, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's an iconic play now. But even in the moment, you're like, how did he do? He was at first, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I remember yeah, looking yeah. at my wife and everybody around us. I was like, Kane was on first when he just scored, right? Like, it's one of Joe Buck's greatest calls ever when he was yeah. like, he can fly. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, incredible. Unbelievable. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the book now. Because, um, again, if you haven't had a chance, go Amazon, wherever you find books. Now it's out in audio. 
I believe yeah. people can find it. Yeah. Uh, this is a phenomenal book. Like I said, became a New York bestseller, New York Times bestseller, what, within a week? Yeah, it was, it that was out. nice. That was good. Yeah. The, I'm going to let you talk about just the overall premise of the book, but it's kind of your journey, um, the military and, and the PTSD that came after it and mm-hmm. wrote the book with the, the goal of helping people. Yeah. Um, what I want you to talk a little bit, because this is, I think everybody can relate to this in some level of how difficult it was that you write about it right at the beginning of the book, going into the office um, at the VA and asking for help. Mm-hmm. Um, in the position in this uh, prominent public figure you were at the yeah. time, just what was the, the moment for you and, and how difficult was that to first walk into that office and say, I need help? Uh, it was really difficult and it was kind of mortifying, right? Because like when you're a politician, getting recognized is one of the goals. It's, you know, if you're going to get votes, people got to know who you are. Yeah. So you spend a lot of your life like trying to get to a point where people are like, oh, that's Jason Kander. Like that, that's a metric of success at some point. You know, you, you start measuring how much you're resonating with the public by how long the selfie line after your events is and that kind of thing, which is not good for you anyway, by the way, but, but that's what happens. And then all of a sudden I was in a place where, I mean, I looked like hell, like I hadn't shaved. Uh, I, you know, just, I I was losing weight. Um, I, I had suicidal thoughts and you could probably see that from the outside and people are recognizing me like as I'm being checked in in the psych ward at the VA, like like not psych ward, but like the emergency suicide hold at the emergency department. Yeah. And you could tell they recognized me because they're doing like double takes, which was not ideal. Uh, it was like not the place you want to be well known. Uh, and then this uh, this psych resident comes in who at first I was really relieved because here's this new guy uh, who seemed to be from out of town, didn't recognize me. And so we have a 30 minute conversation about like my symptoms, which was like, night terrors and uh, hypervigilance, which just means like I felt like I was in danger all the time, yeah. all that fun stuff. And then after about a half hour, he asked me, he's like, do you have like a particularly stressful career or something? And I was like, well, I'm in politics. And he's like, what does that mean? So I say, well, I was going to run for president, decided to run for mayor, but I'm going to quit that and get help here at the VA. And he's like, president of what? Uh, and I, I said, well, of the United States. And he's like, well, who told you you could run for president? And now I've gone from like relieved this guy didn't recognize me to like irritated that he doesn't believe me. So I said, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like I spent an hour and a half just me and Obama and he seemed to think it was a pretty good idea. So this dude looks at me, a 37 year old combat vet in scrubs that are four sizes too big because they've taken all my belongings away. Who's explaining that, yeah, I was a presidential candidate. What's the big deal? And he goes, so how often would you say you hear voices? And that was my first day at the VA, which I tell that story to say the book is obviously a very heavy subject, but it also has jokes. Yeah. Uh, and I say that so that people will read it. <laughs> I, when reading it, I remember reading that section because I was reading books to my son. He fell asleep. I got it out of my phone yeah. and I was scrolling through it. And it was almost not uncomfortable to read, but you can almost put yourself in that position of how uncomfortable it must have been. Yeah. But now that you've kind of gone through this and now you're talking about it and you've gone through the press tour, you've, you've, it's out there and people yeah. have kind of read through it. What's been the feedback and how rewarding is it for you to see the goals that you had for the reasons why you wrote it kind of come to fruition? And, and people are even on social media, you see people saying oh, yeah. this is not only you think it's going to help people, it already started helping people. It's awesome. I mean, I wish that everybody who decided to go get mental health help had the positive reinforcement, the affirmation of, of having people say to you, that saved my life, right? Like, yeah. I, wish, I wish that for everybody. Um, 
And I try to remind people that like we all live public lives to some degree, like with social media, like if you're open about your stuff, there's somebody in your social orbit who will benefit from that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that feedback's been really important to me because there's also been, there's been people who, you know, a lot of people who never served who are like, I got a lot from this. There's people yeah. who, uh, who say, you know, I, I, I have a, a spouse who's had trouble with mental health and, and I've learned from this. So that that's really meant a lot to me. And it's, it's great to get those messages every day. And yeah. I wrote the book because I feel like if I, if this book had existed 14 years ago, when I came home from Afghanistan, I would have read it and I would have gone to get help then. Yeah. But instead what we're inundated with are, is what I call PTSD porn. It's just, you know, depictions of PTSD in the media uh, that is just like a dude robbing a bank and beating his wife and doing drugs. And, and it's like, well, actually, there's this thing called post-traumatic growth. Like, if you go and you get help, it, a lot of people have achieved that. It's actually super common, but we never see it depicted. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I, and I think I texted you like when I was reading through it and it was like for somebody that, you know, my family wasn't in the military, I was not in the military, but there were so many things that I could relate to and take it, take away from the book from, from just being in those positions of not burying things. And you do such a good job in the book. And I love that your wife and Diana gets in there and kind of yeah. shares her perspective, which makes it really powerful because everyone that's reading this has their own stuff. I have my own stuff. I had to go talk to somebody and get help yeah. um, with a lot of different things. And the way that you, when you're reading the book, it reads very quickly, but it kind of shows the process of how it led to you thinking and having the thoughts that you did. And the two things that jumped out to me the most about it, uh, the first one was the interaction you had in DC. I think it was when you'd first joined um, with the, I think it was your uncle with Patch Adams. Yeah, yeah. And you tell that story. But before I share what stood out to me about it, can you just kind of um, replay that scene sure. for everybody? And then I'll tell you what jumped out to me about it. Yeah, so um, my uncle was in town. It was when I was going to college in D.C. and I was, get, I was just getting ready to go into the Army. And he had a business meeting uh, with Patch Adams. And, you know, I, the movie had just come out with Robin Williams playing him like two years maybe prior and so I was, he said, do you want to come and meet him? And I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. 
And he was funny and gregarious and all the things that he seemed to be on screen when Robin Williams portrayed him. And at some point, my uncle tries to bring me into the conversation and says, you know, young Jason here is about to go into the army. And this was like right after 9-11. So this was, you know, uh, everybody was tying yellow ribbons around things. And it was nobody. There was no like, why would you go into the army? That wasn't going on. And so, well, there was that. But there was like. It was all like, we appreciate everyone who goes into the army. Uh, a lot of people were asking me, why would you go? Which bothered me anyway. But, And he kind of, he just was like, that's a terrible idea. And he proceeded to like tell this story about how he had, and I, I don't even know if it was true. He was maybe just trying to be funny, how he had gotten out of serving in Vietnam. And he claimed to have done it by pretending to be gay. And I remember it really bothered me. And I, I should have been quiet. It wasn't my meeting. I, my uncle was just trying to do business. And I said, you know, I asked him, I said, do you ever wonder whether the guy who went instead of you got killed? And it was like a record screech to a halt. Yeah. And uh, and I felt kind of bad about it. And see, that's the part that when I read and then I was kind of like into it. I'm like, yes, that I understand that. And then when you kind of apologize for it, I was like, I don't think, yes, it was not your place and all that. But to me, that's like character manifesting itself coming out. It's like sure. you found out kind of something that you were about maybe before you even realized how much about it you were. And that's what I took away when yeah. I read it. I'm like, there are times and everybody has their different things where if you just touch on something that means more to you than it might to other people, yeah. you can't hold it in. It just comes out. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I maybe shouldn't have done that. But to me, it's like, don't disrespect something like that because it means this much to no, me. I think that's true. And I appreciate that. I maybe I didn't get I think the part of me that was apologetic was just I was worried I had cost my uncle a business deal, you know, and like he had been nice enough to invite me to meet with this famous person. And then I had like showed up and, you know, kind of taking a dump on the situation, (laughs) which (laughs) I felt bad about that. I didn't. I Yeah, I I don't I don't think I felt bad necessarily about mouthing off to Dr. Adams, you know, the other thing that really stood out. And I think everyone who's a working parent can relate to this at a major level. And yours was unique because you were in a position that few people in the history of the world will ever get. And that was after you had started the process behind the scenes of running for president. Mm-hmm. And you were out, uh, you know, hobnobbing with the, the celebrities and the cool kids table, yeah, I believe yeah. is what the chapter was called uh, in the book. And you described being at the top of the pinnacle of where you were supposed to be and all you felt was guilt about yeah. not being home with your family. Yeah. And I think, and I, I talked with my wife about it because I was like, I can relate to this. And mm-hmm. she goes, I relate to that. Because yeah. every working parent has those feelings. But the way that you describe the buildup of being in that position and, you know, being with these A-list celebrities and getting in the endorsements and, and talking with people about running for president and having all this support, and yet you couldn't be happy about it. And yeah. you knew that was when there was an issue. It, just, it stood out to me. Well, yeah, that's actually, it's, that's one of my favorite parts of the book because the way that it matches up with sort of where I arrive at the end of the book and where I am now in life, right? Because yeah. that's where I'm talking about, yeah, like I'm I'm having dinner with Jimmy Kimmel and I'm, you know, all of a sudden I'm friends with Lin-Manuel Miranda and all these people. Yeah. But it, interestingly for me, the reason I was feeling guilty, it wasn't just your standard, I feel guilty because I'm not around my family. I wanted to feel guilty for that reason. Yeah. What I felt guilty about was, I had so many intrusive thoughts and disruptive memories in my mind that my family wasn't quieting that invisible storm. What yeah. was was these performances and you know my career, and so I was addicted to that. And I remember I, I admired people and envied people who had a meaningful job that they cared about that didn't take them away from their family, 
who, no. you know, did what my dad did, which is coach literally. And in that part of the book, I say what I wanted to want, not what I wanted, but what I wanted to want was to drive a pickup truck, coach literally, maybe go play baseball again, you know, all those things. And then, you know, by going to therapy and dealing with my underlying trauma, to me, that's the real harmony of, of the resolution of the book is by the end of the book, I'm who I am now. Like, yeah, I drive I drove a pickup truck here. And it's usually full of baseball equipment because I am my son's little league coach. And because now I get to I get to play baseball again. And we got this great group of guys we play with. And yeah. like, my life now is not just where I wanted, but it's now where I wanted to want it to be. Yeah. And I, I had but I had to become the person who wanted that. And you do a good job of explaining this around that time, too, is that it was not necessarily by any fault of people around you because you had a lot of people supporting you that wanted to help you become that. And not that it was guilt or I don't want to put words in your mm -hmm. mouth, but you felt pressure or an obligation to come through for people that really wanted to see you be in this position and succeed. Oh, yeah. And so you don't want to let people down who are around yeah. you, which just adds to that. Well, you uh, know, I mean, feeling. like you're, you're running a business here. Like, you know what it is yeah. when there's people who are depending on you to be successful. When, when you're a candidate at any level, but especially at, at the highest level, there's an entire orbit of people around you who like. It's not just like for me, it wasn't just my political career. Like it was like the political career of like a hundred different people and including my very close circle of people who had been with me for years. Yeah. So the moment when I sent out the announcement that said, I'm going to the VA, I'm stepping back from everything. It wasn't just my political career that I thought I was hitting the self-destruct button on. It was the political career of like a, a, a bunch of people who I really cared about. Yeah. One of the side note one of my favorite things of, of being playing on the baseball team with you because we knew each other a little bit yeah we got you know got to know each other better is you know it's a lot of people you've known for a long time who've known you yeah. they, don't, they don't it's not jason kander the former president it's not the best time seller it's like yeah. you guys known these guys for years yeah as so you walk in the, and everybody's giving each other a hard time and i know what i was walking into yeah. and as soon as i got there the first day i was like oh this is gonna be fun oh. like this is cool everybody's laid back it's 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 a good time well it's one of the great things about it is it's like you know in the book i i use the term not not having not wanting to have to wear the Jason Kander suit, like not having to put on the thing. Yeah. And man, playing playing ball with the hustlers is such a big part of that for me now, like to the point where, you know, there was uh, we had this book signing uh, recently here in Kansas City as part of the book tour. And a couple of guys came. Yeah. But it was funny because Scott who's our Skip. incredible. Yeah, he's a skipper, but he's the player manager at 64. And like, uh. he's our life goal is to still be playing ball at that <laughs> he's age. Fast. He's physically he can run faster than he, a lot of guys on the team. He's at so good. It's awesome. It's amazing. But anyway, and he said to me, like, he kind of stepped to pulled me aside after the game. He's like, hey, we got a game that night. Why don't I reschedule it and have the guys go? And I was like, no, look, man, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I was like, but I like that these two worlds are separate. I like that I come out here. And I'm just I'm just the same as everybody else. And nobody like nobody thinks of me as anything special. All yeah. anybody gives a, a crap about is like, are you going to get a hit with guys in scoring <laughs> position or, you yeah. know, or like, are you cool to hang out with? And I was like, so please don't do that. You know, yeah. and so that's I like having those two worlds to the point where, like, you know, my jersey number is 54 because that's like the name of my podcast. But like, yeah. I think next year I'm saying, <laughs> screw it. I'm going with my childhood number five after George five. Brett, like because you know, I don't want to mix those two worlds at all. Yeah, you know? that's cool. And in going back and switching back and forth between these two worlds uh, in the Invisible Storm book, 
Um, the fact that the proceeds, you go out, you buy this book, this it supports the Veterans Community Project, which I want to give you a chance with this platform. Thanks. What is it? What is it about? And how can people who are listening to this buy the book, obviously supporting it? What's that support going to? Yeah. So Veterans Community Project, uh, based here in Kansas City. Now, you know, we're going national. Um, that's my job for the last three years. I've been the president of National Expansion at Veterans Community Project. It's two things. It's outreach centers that are walk-in centers that any vet, including me, that's how I got involved can walk into and get any kind of help that a veteran can possibly need, uh, any veteran. And then the residential operation, which is what we're better known for, and that's the village of tiny houses with wraparound case management services that transitions homeless veterans back into permanent housing elsewhere in the community over the course of months. Uh, wildly successful at doing it. There's nobody else in the country who does it with the success rate that we do. And so I, I came on uh, three years ago as the president of National Expansion. In that time, we've expanded to the Denver area, St. Louis area, Sioux Falls area. We just bought land in Oklahoma City. We're going there. And then we have some other uh, places we're going uh, pretty soon that we'll, we'll announce. So that's that's, that's what uh, my royalties go to. That's awesome. So again, grab the book in visible form. All the proceeds go to that. Now, the big question, you've probably been asked this on the thousand interviews you've done. What's next? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my batting average over 400. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much the goal, man. I mean, yeah, you know, what's next is I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'd like to keep building these campuses around the country for VCP. Yep. Um, and, you know, I spent a couple hours a week on Little League lineups. Fall ball's about to start. So I got, yep. I got a lot of work to do there, uh, which all sounds like a dodgy politician answer, but you know, for me, I spent 11 years thinking ex obsessively about the future because yeah. I, I wasn't able to be in the present because my memories and my thoughts were intrusive and disruptive and upsetting. But I don't, I don't have that going on right now. And yeah. so I'm just enjoying my life. And so maybe one day I'll run for something again. I'm still involved in politics, but maybe one yeah. day I'll run for something. But maybe not, you know, and it's nice to be like, whatever. It, yeah. It'll work out. Seems like it's refreshing for you just to be on the outside and see it as this kind of entity outside of what you are now, where you were at that time. Well, it's kind of perfect for me because, look, it's easy for me to say, like, I'm happy doing what I'm doing because what I ended up with is this great lottery ticket of, yeah, I put in this insane amount of work for, for a decade. And now I have this platform, you know, where yeah. when I have something I really want to say politically or, or, or whatever, or like. I've done a bunch of work to evacuate folks out of Afghanistan. Yeah. I, I have the platform to do that. And like, you know, I'm I can still text like A-list celebrities and be like, hey, I'd like you to give money to this or I'd like you to to hold this up with me and and amplify it. So I I, I kind of the prior me bequeathed to the current me this yeah. platform that I can pop up and, you know, do every TV show in the world and promote a book that, that benefits the cause I care about. And then I can go back to coaching Little League. So yeah. I think there's a perception out there sometimes that people are like, oh, that guy just must be, he's just itching to get back in and run for office. And it's like, no, you know, I ran for office because I wanted a platform to be able to make change. And now I have that and I get to enjoy my life. Yep. So for me to want to run for office again, there's going to have to be something where I go, well, the only way I can make an impact is if I, if I am president or whatever. Yeah. And unless that happens, you know, I don't see myself, you know, I mean, look, the president can't, play baseball three nights a week man i mean i i got a responsibility here yeah my responsibility what's next for me is getting my arm right for this tournament we got coming up in august which I props get to you people out. should know the other night five innings of one run ball against a good team you yeah. know i mean it you're, it was fun to get back out there i'll say that it was fun to get back out on the mat i felt like home yeah anybody, it is a home. lot of people know me as the the chief's guy and 
It's funny. And I, we've You're talked a college about this World Series up. champion. I, I was a on a really thing. good. T- I was on a really good team. Uh, I had some really, really good teammates. But yeah, I was fortunate to be on the, the Central Missouri team that won a D2 national title. But there's just something comfortable about getting back on a baseball field. But it's funny that everybody that knows me is the Chiefs guy or a mm-hmm. Chiefs reporter. Always surprised to learn that I was playing baseball. People who know me my entire life said it's always weird for us to hear you talk about football because I wasn't great at football. And I've never <laughs> said that I was. Um, but, yeah, it, it's been awesome to have the platform. And, like, to your point, um, you know, a lot of people can follow your lead. And there's a lot of different ways that you can help people. Um, even if it's just by sharing your story or being honest about the struggles that you have so other people feel comfortable knowing that they're not alone, that everyone's got the stuff that they deal with. And that's what's so refreshing from somebody like yourself that was such a public figure to step up and throughout this book be very vulnerable and open about the process. Not, like you said, the PTSD, here's the the highlights of the bad things and then get through it. You right. really get into um, how it built up and you kind of follow that journey. And then, like I said, um, your wife's perspective on like her end of it and not holding any punches back either right as far as what she was thinking and feeling it's really really powerful and so go check out that book if you haven't and before we let everybody go go ahead and plug your pod we haven't talked about your podcast oh, yeah, a whole thanks. lot either so go ahead and talk about your podcast as well sure yeah um i have a show it's called majority 54 uh i co-host it with a guy named ravi gupta and it is a uh, progressive political podcast where the the goal of it is to help listeners be able to have conversations with people who don't share our political views and bring them over to our side without losing those relationships. Cool. Well, there you have it. And again, we want a special thank you to the Kansas City Royals uh, for allowing us to come out here. You get the the fountains in the background if you hear that noise. Uh, It's been awesome to be out here. We appreciate them for taking care of us. And obviously, we appreciate the folks up at Holiday Distillery for making all of this and a lot of what we do at KC Sports Network possible. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we will see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.